Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the What's in My Head podcast, I've got a Mr. Alan Burnett, a living legend, if you will. Um, just going over your entire resume, it is just amazing right off the bat where it's steeped in comic books. I want to know, how did you get into what you do for a living as far as screenwriting, comic book writing, and making memories for people like myself? Um, Where was your first comic, or do you remember what your first comic was that got you into that medium? You know, the first comics I read were probably Batman, to tell Mm -hmm. you the truth. I mean, first superhero comics. I was, um, when I was a kid, my parents always went to Florida. We lived in Ohio. And we always went to Florida on vacation. And I would get a stack of comics mm-hmm. prepared for that trip. And, you know, there were, there were Little Lulu and there were Casper and there were the funny comics, you know, funny books. Yeah. And then one year, like when I was nine, uh, Batman creeped into that pile. I hadn't read a superhero comic before then. And, uh, and the story I, I tell, and it's true, as it was like, I suddenly, you know, I'm, we're, we're going through Kentucky and I pick up the Batman comic. And I said, well, I'll give this a shot. And I read it and it was like, uh, it was like losing my virginity. It was like just amazing. <laughs> I, I, there was this world that was adult and I understood it. it was made for me, you know, and I was hooked. I was truly hooked from that point on. Goodbye, Casper. Goodbye, Popeye. I was hooked on uh, superheroes and I became a huge, huge comic book reader. It was a joke in the family, but, you know, I had my cardboard boxes filled with comics. I mean, look so at what it did for you, though, right? You know, I mean, it's hey, listen, I have two college degrees and reading those comics between the ages of nine and 14, that was worth five times more. So, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it, it's insane when you really think about it. I went to college myself. I went to the culinary culinary school um, and knowing what I've learned in a kitchen vice what I've learned by a book and instructor. Um, I had a pretty decent foundation because since the age of 12, I wanted to cook for a living. Um, it wasn't until this year where, you know, people tell you to go home and not come back from work until whatever's going on is over with the COVID shit really starts to put shit into perspective. And you're like, man, I don't know if, this is my dream anymore, but you held on to your dream for going on. How long have you been writing screen or screenwriting for uh, comic books or anything, you know, superhero related at this point in your time? Well, since, since 81, I okay. uh, had other, I had other jobs before that. Hmm. Um, uh, but I fell into, well, I uh, was a, a, a development uh, person over at a live action uh, uh company Mm -hmm. and I was there for about two years oh let me go back and restart this thing because actually I was a page at NBC in my 20s and while I was there there was an internship for pages Uh, and one of the internship internships was uh, for um, for uh, children's programs Mm -hmm. 
And I got that job. And the person who hired me was the manager of children's programs for NBC, who was Jean McCurdy, and her boss, who was uh, Margaret Lesh. And these two women were my bosses for half my career after that. Okay. Because Margaret went on to, um, to, uh, to, to become senior vice president of production for Hanna-Barbera for years, for a decade. And then after that, Gene McCurdy went on to become the president of, uh, of Warner Brothers Cartoons. Mm -hmm. And I worked for them both for about, you know, 20 years. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so but, I, but I really didn't start writing for animation until uh, 81. And I never stopped. I mean, I, I retired about three years ago. But in all that time, I never had time off. I was always constantly working, and it was a there was a lot of stuff to do. And I just was a fortune. I just fell into the right thing for me. What was it about superheroes and, and and Batman in particular? But what was it about superheroes that just got you hook, line, and sinker right off the bat? Well, I think it's the fact that um, it, it's a secretive world. I mean, the, the secret identities were a big thing when I was a kid. Yeah. And, you know, kids have the idea that they're a superhero inside. And I think that's the, the, a big, big appeal. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and with Batman, it's, it's, um, it, 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 it's amped because he's a superhero who is self-made. He has yeah. no superpowers, but he's, he's, got, he's got a bank account. <laughs> <laughs> And he's got the will, and uh, look what happened. So um, I think that's a, a big attraction. I mean, Spider Man. Look at Spider Man. Uh, he was he was uh, this poor uh, Peter Parker guy, and every teenage boy feels like Peter Parker at some time in his life, and yet he uh, was a superhero. So so that's the attraction. It, 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 it's it's fantastic because. Uh, I told the story in an earlier podcast, but I actually got beat up for comics. Like I'm sure most kids did when they were younger. Um, my introduction into comic books was a much like yours, but I was already out of place, right? So uh, my grandpa, whenever we'd go and visit him and he lived in West Virginia with my grandma, they lived right on the uh, West Virginia, um, Ohio border of Gallipolis Ferry, that kind of area. And uh, we would go to this, this little flea market and he would peel off a 20 out of his pocket and he gave it to me and my brother. He said, go find something that makes you happy. Um, and I found a stack of comic books. Most of them were missing the covers. You know, it was just beat to hell. They smelled like cigarette smoke, right? It smelled like, Ameri <laughs> it smelled like Americana, right? So I remember opening up this bag um, and then pulling out all these comic books and reading it. But what really hooked me was a little toy and before Batman was my guy, I really liked the ocean being in Florida. Um, being a redheaded dude, it's like an oxymoron. You don't mix redheads and the ocean, just like you don't mix gremlins and water, right? So, you know, it was weird gravitating toward a person. The, that Aquaman that I went towards was that Super Friends Aquaman. Um, so back then he was in this, just this super orange and green, you know, ugly, ugly looking thing, right? Just the, yeah. the, the, the standard Aquaman thing. And he didn't have the seahorse toy with it, right? So I found this little Aquaman toy. I was like, I want this, right? This is this is what I want. And I had a stack of comic books. Um, and I remember going to school as kindergarten and uh, you could take and show, show and tell. And I remember at the playground because you could play with your toys in the playground, right? I remember getting punched in the stomach. Somebody stole my Aquaman toy and he stomped on it. I never got it back, um, but that was my introduction. It's almost similar to yours. It was just, you seemed like you had a better car ride than I had a car ride that day. Um, but 
nonetheless, man, if looking around back here, I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and another big introduction to something you worked on. I know we're going to be skipping all over the place because we just can't talk about your entire career in just one hour. So eventually I'm going to have you back on here so we can talk more in depth about it. But you were on a little itty bitty show called the animated series, Batman, the animated series. Um, yeah. And you're working with Paul Dini now on a comic book you guys are working on. We'll get to that in just a second. But how did you hook up with Paul Dini or how did you get on board when the Batman, the animated series was launched? Well, the, uh, um, like I say, Jim, going back to uh, the mid eighties at uh, Hanna-Barbera, I was, I worked on the Super Friends. I did the Super Friends for two years, the last two years of the Super Friends. So I got beat up because of you, was what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You Sorry about that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and uh, during this time, uh, we were pushing to do a Batman show. And I wanted to do a, a, something that was uh, several notches above uh, Super Friends, understandably. And so Jean McCurdy was my boss. She got me to write a pilot for Batman. She knew I was a big fan and all that. And we, I wrote the pilot and it didn't sell. It was just, <laughs> it was just too hard for uh, you know, Saturday morning at that time. Uh, but we managed, uh, we, we later on managed to hone down the story for a super friend story. It was, uh, uh, I forget the name of it, but it was about uh, the scarecrow uh, causing Batman to be afraid of Crime Alley. And he yeah. knew there was something about Crime Alley that, that spooked Batman. So, so um, anyway, so Gene knew that I loved Batman. And during the time that uh, Batman Animated Series was starting, I, I wanted to get out of animation. And in fact, was doing some live action stuff, again uh -huh. for him. And uh, Gene was saying, come on over, it's Batman. We can, you know, we, you, can, you can do it, come on, come on over. And I said, no, 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 no. So they started up an operation and uh, production was starting for them. Scripts were being written. And um, there was a um, piece of footage that they had created, uh, 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 Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski, the producers on the show. And it was a trailer. Mm -hmm. And um, they were having difficulties with the series. They were having story problems with the series. And Gene said, came back to me and said, you've got to, uh, you really have to do the show. You can do whatever, you know, I, I didn't want to do it because I was sick of Saturday morning. This was, uh, uh, I, 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 there's no way to do Batman unless you have guns and unless you have fist fights. I mean, it's just, what's the point? Yeah. So she said, I can have all this stuff because it was an afternoon show. And even though it was run out of children's programs at Fox, they wanted to up the ante and they wanted something special and something new. And she showed me this, this piece of footage, this um, 90 second trailer, you can see it you know, on uh, YouTube anytime you want. And I must've looked at it like about 10 times in a row. I, and, and on the very last minute that I could come over from, I could break my contract essentially. I, wait, I, I, I thought about it up until the last minute and then I jumped ship and came over to Batman. And that's how, the, and that's how it started. And, uh, <laughs> for a long time I didn't believe I really didn't believe that I could do what I ended up doing on the show but it happened and um, and it's, it was a good show it was a breakthrough show 
it, it, you are the most humbling. If I had a hit like Batman, the animated series, I would do like Bob Kane did. He's like, you know, I created Batman, right? I would be sitting here shouting <laughs> from the rooftops. I did this. I did this. Let me tell you something. And I was a child watching this show. It hit me on a childlike level. Flash forward. I'm 31 now. I, I haven't watched the show in its entirety in probably three or four years was the last time. Once it hit Amazon, me and my kid just binged the entire thing. I was still in the Navy. So we were still looking for something to like bond over. I just got out home off of deployment, you know, so we were looking for something that we could watch together and reconnect because being gone for nine months, you know, as an adult, it's one thing because you can kind of, you know, you can kind of get through it. But being a child at his such a young age, he just didn't understand why dad was always gone. So whenever I'd come home, we, we instantly would jump into a cartoon or a movie series or something that we can connect over. And this was it. And this, and th at that point in time, this is like 2016 era, right? So I started watching this show. And then before that, it had been a while since I'd watched it. And we put on the Heart of Ice. Was it the Heart of Ice? Yes, it was Heart of Ice. Um, that episode with Mr. Freeze, where they give him the origin. And looking at that as a kid, because that was the last time I had seen it up to that point, watching it as an adult, there is something in this show for everybody from the kid like to the kid like just the the uh, I can't think of the term, but just the kid like wonder, I guess, of seeing Batman punching villains and fighting all of these people. And then you get an, as an adult, you sit here and look at it with a different set of eyes. You're like, holy shit, this thing is something more than just funny papers, pictures, cartoons, superheroes, people dressed in tights, a clown running around, some dude that has ice cubes coming out of his fingers. It's something more than that right? And you guys did something. You specifically, man, you went out there and created a show that will last longer than anything in this world, man. You guys really did something with this show. And you said something earlier that I wanted to bring back up that you watched that trailer 10 times, right? Did you know at that point watching that trailer, did you know that something was here and this is going to be as big as it was and still is? Well, no, I didn't realize that, the, the, the latter part, but I knew there was something special about that trailer, and I knew there were guns in that trailer, and there were fistfights <laughs> in that trailer. And uh, I did, uh, you know, Gene, Gene McCurdy took me out to lunch three times because uh, I wasn't, I couldn't believe that we, I could actually get away with this stuff. You got to understand, I come from, in the, in the Super Friends show, people couldn't make a fist. Yeah. You couldn't get angry like that. And so, um, so this was a whole new ball game for me. And I went in, I said, I'm going to forget every rule I've ever been told. Because the guys who I was working with, they, they weren't aware of the kind of rules I had to deal with. And, um, and we were all big fans of Batman. We had that all in common. And what we did was we sort of sifted through every, you know, the Batman comics and took the best, that we, the, the best of it yeah. and honed it into a show. And so um, I'd like to take full credit for it, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but it was it, really, it was uh, people who loved the character were of one mind. And that's why that show is as good as, as it was. I mean, like I said, you guys can tell that they took off everything. It felt like you guys had just this huge playground to play in, just a huge sandbox. And you're like, Let's just throw shit until, you know, they tell us not to. I mean, looking back on this now, what were some of, not so much the episodes you writ, you, you had written, but what were some of your favorite episodes from this series that you just automatically, like, if I have to pick an episode or if I have to watch something, 
I'm going to go towards this. Do you have one or two? Well, yeah, I, uh, Heart of Ice, of course, everybody loves yeah. that one. And there's yeah. one called Perchance the Dream, which is Batman uh, waking up one day and and finding out that he's not, you know, Bruce Wayne waking up and finding out he's not Batman. Yeah. And uh, and all the elements of Batman's life have been sifted over into a, a civilian life. Now, his girlfriend is is Catwoman and uh, and and what he comes to realize is that he's in a dream. He's yeah. stuck in a dream that's been uh, foisted on him by the Mad Hatter. Mm-hmm. And he's got to break the dream. That's that's one I love because uh, only in Batman could you tell that story. It was an absolute Batman story. But there are others. Um, oh, there's so many others. The Two-Face stuff, Robin's Reckoning, the story, origin of Robin, which is a beautiful um, looking uh, show. The first ventriloquist show I love. I just saw that by chance about like six months ago. And I thought, my gosh, this is beautiful. It looks like it was, you know, painted on, on um, black velvet. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of what Paul did, I loved. So, um, so there was one about a card game. I forget the name of him, uh, but there was a card game where Batman, they were talking about, um, almost got him. That was it. Uh, Batman, they talked about the times they almost got Batman, all the villains. And so there's there's quite a few. I mean, you know, we had our clunkers, but there was quite no, a few. No, there there there's very few shows, movies, or anything. I heard this the other day from a guy I had on the podcast. You can tell when somebody's doing it for passion, and you can tell when somebody's doing a project for profit, right? And it's it happens, right? You got to make money some way, right? In order to keep the shit coming in, you got to sell the toys, you got to sell the TV shows, you got to have ad space, right? So at the end of the day, man, there's not very many shows out there or movies that don't have some kind of filler scene or filler episode or just like, ah, oh, man, we just got to get it up to get that 26 episodes in. And I've watched the series in its entirety two or three different times uh, and two, two or three different you know parts of my life. And there's not one episode where I'm just like, ah, oh, will this get over any time? It, it is a f- fantastic and phenomenal show, man. Like, like I said, there was no clunk, at least for me. I mean, looking at it from your eyes, um, if you're anything like me as far as a professional goes when it comes to your craft, I can sit out here and tell you everything wrong with the dish I made. And everybody loves it, but I can tell you what I didn't like about it. So I'm assuming that's that's the side you're coming from. Um, you know, you uh, yeah, I'm pro- uh, yeah. 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 You know, oh, wait, we. We did pretty well. We, we yeah. did pretty well, I thought. I like yeah. how humble you are. I wish I could learn to be humble like you, my friend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, what can I tell you? It's, it's, you know, a lot of people did great work. I mean, everybody's to be patted on the back. I mean, it was a real team effort. Did you? And it was an effort also on the part of the network. I mean, they gave us pretty strong reign. Sydney Iwaner is the fellow who was... Uh, uh, the net, who oversaw the show from uh, Fox, the Fox network. And uh, he was always pushing for us to get edgier and edgier all the time. And uh, as a matter of fact, about a month before the show hit the, hit the air, um, uh, I, I asked him if, you know, the uh, people above him had seen it, people outside of children's programs. And he said, no. And he said, you know, uh, they're expecting an Adam West show. That's what they're expecting. I know from when I have meetings with them. And uh, I'm not sure what they're going to think. And, uh, and 
And that's, that worried me for a little while, but I thought, well, there's nothing to be done. Here it is. This is what we made. So there you go. Well, I'm glad we got that, that darker style, because like I said, whenever I read, you know, I've got a whole bunch of stuff down here. I mean, I brought them up a few times. Like I said, Batman is my guy. So it doesn't matter, you know, if I'm reading something from Neil Adams or if I'm reading, you know, the definitive collection from the dailies back in the day, the voice I hear whenever I read Batman is Kevin Conroy from the animated series. The voice I hear as Joker is Mark Hamill from the animated series. I mean, you guys have had such an influence, not only me, because I'm pretty sure there's thousands and millions of fans like myself that love what you guys did. Um, and, and when we were talking about the episodes, the ones you liked that you might not have written or you might have not have been a part of, but you just really enjoyed, um, what were some of those characters when you were bringing these in that, that you might have not had too much of a chance to work with, but you knew you had to get them in there? Whether it be side characters, villains, or main characters, was there anybody that you, 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 know, you didn't think you'd get in that you got into one of these episodes that you wrote? I think we, got, we pretty much got everybody we wanted. I thought you're talking about the villains, villains, just any character in the Batman mythos. Was there anybody that you were just surprised that you got in there that just might not have been, you know, not so much passe, but just like this guy just doesn't have that much of a following or he's just too like calendar man would be one or kite man would be another one. Um, well, calendar man we, we put in as a woman because yeah. it works so well. Uh, um, no, I can't say I, 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 I can't. what we did with, with the villains was that we, we made them sympathetic. Mm-hmm. They all have their stories of where they came from and they're all tragic stories. And so you give them, uh, uh, you give them, you add some psychology to them, uh, and they become a lot more, um, relatable relatable and intriguing and fascinating and understandable and, you know, and even empathetic and uh, sympathetic. Uh, The only, the only villain who has no background, of course, is Joker. He's the, he's the wild card, but everybody else is a a human being first. And then they undergo this transformation and they become trapped just like Batman became trapped. Well, it is. It's a uh, Marty Pasco used to say to me, "Was it Marty?" He said, "You know, it was a good day that uh, it was a great day for Gotham when when Bruce Wayne put on the mask, but it was the, a tragic day for Bruce Wayne when he put that mask on." Yeah, it, it's it's that dichotomy, it's that duality, right? You know, yeah. um, what what characters? Not so much just you know, the, like I said, the main cast or Batman or anything like that. Who was the easiest person to like slip into and write for? Like, was there a voice that you had in your head for you know each villain or each character, or was there characters that were just really difficult to write when you were doing this? Well, you know, you find the the voice in the end. Um, no, I, 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 your question doesn't, doesn't, uh, there's nothing to leap on for me. I just, the process is you look at the villain you want to, to, to deal with. You want to find a way to deal with it so that it's a human being mm-hmm. and everything grows out of that. So, um, so, the, you know, um, the the voice you know the voices the voices happen because of what you're in the process of writing it, and then you finally pick the the actor you think is right for it. 
I mean, I don't think I'm answering your question very well here, but um, it's perfectly fine. What I meant by voices is like, so if I were to sit down and write somebody like, I don't know, my favorite uh, villain, Scarecrow, right? So I'm instantly going to think this dude, his brain is fried because of all these chemicals. He's a smart guy, right? He was a chemist. He was a professor. He was all these guys. But what would he really be saying? That's what I meant by voice. Not so much the voice actor or actors. It was the voice that would come out of them. Like, what would be your mindset or what would be your, your um, uh, what's the word? What would be your process for flushing out an idea for a character? Like, if you wanted to write a, uh, uh, an episode about Scarecrow, what would be your process to get into that mindset to write Scarecrow and make him sound like Scarecrow? I don't know if that's a better way of putting that question or not. Well, I mean, it just he would go. Uh, I would. Well, I think when we were starting up the Scarecrow, we were thinking, and he may have been a character that we were working on, or they were working on before I got on the show. I don't know, but I think this, with me, the Scarecrow was always he was always a sadist, yeah. and he always wanted to control people, and he wanted to. And I saw him as a guy who would hurt animals and birds and all yeah. that. So uh, that's where I would start with with him. Um, uh, <laughs> I just. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, when I start, I mean, well, I'll give you an example. There, uh, Two Face was somebody I wanted to do very badly. For uh -huh. me, Two Face was for me like Joker was for Paul Dini. I mean, I just wanted to explore that uh, that character. And to me, he was a, he was a split personality. But I never enjoyed. I never liked the idea that he had this accident and it turned him into a split personality. I liked the idea that he was already a split personality. And uh, and that the uh, the accident just manifested, uh, just uh, augmented it completely until it, it, it was it taken over his life. Yeah. So he would start off as kind of a normal guy, but you knew within that normal guy there was another character, and that uh, they would be vying for control of him, mm -hmm. and the other character would come out when he uh, when he got angry, and it was a little bit there's a little Hulk thing going on with yeah. him. But the um, so I, I went to a child psychiatrist because I did not want to get into uh, 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 molestation, let's say, as a reason why uh, people start to split off their personality. And that's the only thing that I really those kind of stories are the ones that I knew about. Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, I mean, is it possible to get multiple personalities from in other ways. And he said, sure. I mean, I forget exactly what our conversation was, but it could be a very little thing, like you're trying to hide a lie or something like yeah. that. And then it starts growing and growing. And, and, and you, and so, so, um, so that's how that character grew out. But it was, it was a matter of uh, finding a voice that uh, an actor who could play both voices and who, and in which both voices were so dynamically different that you would think it was two people acting so well, that, i don't know if i answered your question oh, again. no you, you perfectly <laughs> you did you did and it spawned another question what, what i really liked um you went to a child psychologist to figure out you know to get more deeper into this character or make it make sense right um right. was there any is that a normal type of thing to do like you'd go in your line of work you know you're trying to write something out or flush out an idea I'm just going to go ask an expert, right? Is that is that something you do often, or is that something that people in your line of work do? Like, let me just go talk to this musician; he might be able to help me to connect the dots, if you will. Yeah, you mean you do it on occasion. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it every time, but there are sometimes where it's you're you're dealing with with situations that are kind of touchy, yeah, and you want to be you want to be right about them. So um, you know, you'll go to a psychiatrist every once in a while. Um, 
or 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 a scientist or whatever you know but uh yeah i'm I'm smiling to myself because uh (laughs) recently on facebook uh i had this post about a show that we did for uh for uh justice league action which was about a a uh <laughs> which was about superman getting trapped in a black hole he's on he's on the inside of the event horizon mm. and that's one i really i really should have gone to a scientist on because uh because what i read and what i read was that the inside of a black hole inside the event horizon it's bright white mm-hmm. but i got it wrong because i was it was the, the white was not coming from the singularity inside it the white was coming from all the light that's being sucked into the black hole and gets concentrated as you fall into it. So there's nothing but white light around you. So, uh, <laughs> so, and, um, and people, uh, and, and I, I sort of apologize to people when I realized the mistake I made. This was on Facebook and it was just it amuses me because a guy who worked with Stephen Hawking uh, ended up uh, getting contacted about this. And uh, so I lo- looked even dumber, you know, but uh, you can't, you know, you can't let science get in the way sometimes, you know. This is, this is a fictitious world, ladies and gentlemen. This is stuff that these guys and girls are creating to entertain us. I mean, are they, are, are they messaging the same child psychologist about this guy running around his underwear in a cape fighting bad people? I mean, you, you got to suspend disbelief somewhere. Come on, boys and girls. Don't, don't, don't get Stephen Hawking's goddamn assistant in here on a fucking <laughs> He was a definite partner. In fact, uh, um, Leonard, and he's written a book about it, and it's on, on the bestseller list right now. I've had a couple of dinners with him. He's a very charming fellow. Uh, and that's only because uh, somebody, a friend of a mutual friend of ours, contacted him and said, "Alan, Alan wrote this, you know." And uh, the the problem was, <laughs> I, I'm getting too deep into this, but the problem was that uh, the, the question was, uh, "How does Superman get out of this trap?" And I, I said, "You know, well, here's what he does. Uh, he uh, he has Wonder Woman drop the magic lasso." Into the into the event horizon, Superman grabs it on the other end, and she yanks him out. Seems like you could do that, and apparently that's a tough thing to to do, even with a magic lasso, because uh, Superman would sort of like be uh, be uh, uh, he, he wouldn't be moving. Uh, the, the, whatever image you have of him down there, I don't know. Anyways, uh, but. Uh, but you know what, you know, uh, as somebody said, you know, you get kids understanding a little bit about the black hole, they'll go back and they'll, they'll become the future physicists, you know? Yeah, so. it, it's, you got to suspend disbelief to give them curiosity, give them curiosity so they can sit here and find something. I mean, I had the same similar, I was reading, um, it was right here. I was actually reading this not so long ago. Wife got it for me uh, for a birthday or something like that. So I like the flash a lot, right? So it's the- yes. Silver Age, you know, first volume of The Flash. And uh, in this one, he had, he had ran up a wall, right? And I am extremely dumb when it comes to math, numbers, science, anything that's not a movie, TV show, uh, food item, you know, something that interests me and I can just retain the information. Um, so physics is completely out of the question. And I was actually going to school at this point in time. I was still in college. Um, and I go up to the physics teacher 
and I ask him, I'm like, I have the book here and I look like a serial killer because I had a whole bunch of like pink and yellow uh, sticky notes in there to reference what page I was looking at and why he did it and this, that and the other. So I thought I was coming to the table with a lot of information that this guy would be able to discern anything that I might have. Um, needless to say, by the end of the 37 seconds that I had with him and him telling me to get the hell out of his office, he had more important things to worry about than what um, Barry Allen was doing in a fictitious comic book 45 years ago. Um, needless to say, it sounds like your astrophysicist and your child psychologist liked your questions a lot more than, they, than mine liked mine. So um, kudos. Oh, they had fun. They had fun. So but, uh, it is what it is, man. So you worked on so many things, right? And, and when I was looking through your filmography, it didn't just stop at Batman, the animated series, right? You guys went and did the Mask of the Phantasm, which is a fantastic movie. This movie is beautifully shot, um, as well as other things. At what point in time, when you guys were writing Batman the Animated Series, did they come and say, hey, we want a feature-length movie out of you guys? You know, it, it was after the show had been on the air for, I guess, a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was to be a... The show was to be a, uh, uh, a directive video, home video. And Eric Rodomsky, who was one of the producers, uh, devised this uh, opening with CG, uh, a CG Gotham City in which you're sort of, you're like, it's like a helicopter shot going through the yes. city. And CG was brand new at the time. And one of the executives came over and just saw that opening. And he said, let's make this into a movie and we'll feature it as a movie. And who are we? Who are we to say? You know, th this is the only section that has CG. The rest of it is like the show. Uh, so that's how the that's how the, it became a movie. And we not, we didn't get any more money. We didn't get any more time. And it was touch and go for a while because the animation we were getting back was problematic. So I didn't. So you know, you're just you're just holding your breath. And finally, we saw the scenes from the third act, which looked pretty good. Mm -hmm. and uh, we knew we, we had a movie. And so we put it in the theaters. But by that time, Warner Brothers didn't know if they had a movie because they only played it at matinees. Yeah. So it didn't, get a, it didn't get a big run. And, and some of the critics were kind of mean to it. And it just went away. And about uh, a year, year and a half later, I'm on vacation. I get a call from my boss, Jim McCurdy, saying, have you listened to Siskel and Ebert? And they, they got on the show they, and they had finally seen the movie. They didn't watch it while it was in the theaters. They watched it as a, as a video and they praised it. I mean, it was great. It was great. It was, very, it was a great vindication. And, you know, it's become like a cult favorite. So it, It's a fantastic movie. I mean, you did that one and then we kind of, you know, pivot or, you know, full steams ahead into Batman Beyond. Um, I've got to imagine, because talking to a lot of the writers and I've talked to Fred Seibert, which was, you know, headed you know, Hanna-Barbera for four or five years, yeah. you know, brought in that whole what a cartoon. And a lot of these guys, they would tell me that they're working on, you know, a, like two years behind, really, when you start to think about it. So like two years worth of animation and then they're starting to, you know, really roll it out into pre-production. So you guys are really working. So if they're doing voicing now, right, two years from now at that time, they would have a cartoon or a movie, you know, fit, ready, you know. Um, commercialed up and everything ready to go to the scene. Um, at what point did they come to you guys and say, hey man, we want to do old Bruce Wayne, Terry McGinnis? 
I mean, was it fairly early on in Batman the Animated Series? I don't know. I think we were um, we were toward the end of we, we were doing a Superman and Batman show by then, and there was a desire to do another Batman show. But when we got into the office, Jamie Kellner was president of uh, um, WB. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he wanted to do a a younger Batman. And while we're in the room, we started discussing it. And we realized that if we did a young Bruce Wayne, we would lose uh, all the villains. We would lose the costume. I mean, all it is is a guy going around the world uh, coming up with tips to fight crime. And, but if we went the other direction, if we went into the future and we developed a whole new Batman who was a young Batman who worked with old Bruce Wayne, suddenly that's, that's sort of, that sort of made us uh, quite interested. And so before we left that meeting, that's the direction we were given. I think that, and I've said this before, I think that what the network wanted was a younger feeling show mm-hmm. because uh, they really were after the two to 11 year old market. And the Batman shows that we were doing, maybe even the Superman shows were, were skewing toward an older audience, like 14 years old tops. Yeah. And older, but I mean, it was like a nine to 14 year old audience. And that was not what Saturday morning was selling in their commercials. So, um, and the irony is, of course, is that Batman Beyond is even darker than the old Batman series. It's just the way we are, you know, I mean, we, we, we want to keep pushing an envelope. And so they had, they would have had a I think they would have been more happy if a whole new crew had come in and started Batman Beyond. But I was very happy to do Batman Beyond. And I think it's a good show and it still lives today uh, as part of the, the Batman the canon. Chronicle, well, yeah, the canon. So, um, and, and people ask about, you know, did, were you afraid what the fan reaction would be when it came out? And I never was, because we were really true to the story to, to the Batman uh, legend. And so um, I, I was not surprised that it was, it was as well received as it was. And it was a good show, but it just was not the show that they wanted to do. We, and, you know, usually you get a, a call for 65 episodes. I think we ended like 52, 54 on that one because they were just in, they really wanted to, that two to 11 year old audience or six to 11. Now, do you get the same satisfaction as far as, you know, fulfillment or, you know, enjoyment that you had in the animated series as you did Batman Beyond? Or is it just two separate entities and you had two different feelings for each show? No, I like them both. My feelings for both are pretty similar. Yeah. It's it's all Batman to me. And it's just a continuation. There's a little Spider-Man going on in Batman Beyond, but uh, otherwise it's, it's a continuation. Now you said you said you usually got that 60 65 you know order episodes but it was 52 55 um, do you feel like you got to say everything that you wanted to say with those characters when you were doing Batman Beyond or do you still have some more you'd like to say No I you know if, if I look back on that series I think that uh, the the villain who killed the father mm-hmm. uh, we seemed to we we got rid of it. the arc was that story and him dealing with uh, getting rid of that villain in the end. And I wish that we had maintained that villain, that he had become our Lex Luthor. 
uh, and that he was not he was not completely gone away with. But otherwise, um, we pretty much I think said what we wanted to say in the show. Um, unlike Superman, for example, that was also like supposed to be sixty five episodes, but it ended a season earlier. And what we were trying to do uh, in the last episodes was to turn him into a character that seemed darker mm -hmm. to people so that he wasn't as uh, much the boy scout in the eyes of of uh, uh, of uh, the people of metropolis as he was before so we were trying to do something there that i wish we had another season to do but we didn't did, did, did you guys get any influence or any like notes from executives or anybody up there in the upper chain of command when death of superman came out? i got to imagine that that was just the thing that was driving all, not all Superman stories, but that was a huge part of that nineties era. Um, were they trying to pull in elements from that storyline, that death of Superman storyline? Um, you know, not really. I don't think so. Um, when I, he was taken over by dark side, I forget the, the scheme of the show exactly, but he was being taken over. So he was, uh, he was villain, villainous for the last couple episodes yeah. Uh, before the, before whatever hold Darkseid had got broken. And that's what, uh, and, and seeing a bad Superman is what had people on, uh, the idea was that seeing a bad Superman is what would have humanity on edge about him from that point on. So it didn't come out of Death of Superman, but we've done Death of Superman. I think we've done it twice <laughs> over at Warner Brothers. I just didn't know if they had any influence because I got to imagine there's somebody that is trying to tell you how to do your job as a writer or as a fan of this medium to say, hey, we saw this. Everybody seems to be buying it. Can we do more of this vice that I always liked hearing like the input you guys would get from, you know, uh, externally, you know, because we were fans, we were, we were never at loggerheads with anybody over at DC. We were, they, we respected the characters and, and they were fine with us. Yeah. Yeah. So that never, that never happened. That's always good to hear, man. Cause I hear so many war stories about like, I wish we could have done this, but these guys over here that own this stuff said, no, we can't do that. And, you guys, you, Bruce, Tim, Paul Dini, all these people that came to make this damn show. I got to imagine they're just like, hey, man, just here's a boatload of money. Do whatever you guys want to do. Keep making it as great as you're making it. And we're just going to make a boatload of money, man. Um, and like I said, this this these shows were so fantastic and so influential in my life as a child. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're like I said, we're going to jump over a little places here and there um, because I'm trying to talk to as much of what you've done as you've done. Um, and you did a little show called Static Shock which was yeah. fun. It was entertaining. And it was like my first time of like, man, I would love to have electrical powers, right? I got zapped as a little kid by sticking my finger in an outlet, mm -hmm. hated electricity ever since then. But once I saw the show, I'm like, dude, this dude gets to fly on a manhole cover. He's got a best friend named Virgil. We're throwing, we're throwing electricity all over the place. Um, was that one a hundred percent guaranteed or not guaranteed? Was that one directed towards, you know, we're trying to hit that two to 11 that you had mentioned earlier. Yes. Yeah, I would say six to 11 on him, but yeah, yeah, that was, that, that was the kind of show they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the first two seasons of that show, you'll see that almost all of it, I mean, like 99.9% .9 of it is done. If the adventures happen during the day, that was one of the edicts that we had come down was that they wanted it to be a daytime show. 
Uh, they were afraid of darkness. <laughs> we, we scared them from darkness. Why do you think that is? And then, and then we did a show. We brought in Batman as a guest uh, team up with Static. And uh, I told the network, you know, Batman doesn't come out during the day. He's at night. He's a night guy. So you're going to have to do this uh, as a night show. And they said, okay, all right. <laughs> and that's the way we did it. And the irony is that static works, that electric power works a lot better at night because it's just more flashy. Yeah. And so from that point on, that old edict about just during the day, I went away. Was there any other but, like, uh, edicts uh, that they gave you or said like, hey man, you said in the Super Friends, they couldn't make fists or they didn't have weapons, they didn't have guns, but the animated series did. Um, was there anything like any directives that you remember hearing about? Like obviously the no, no nighttime type of thing. Was there anything else that they really wanted to push? Well, not, uh, not out of reason. And of course, things got better. I mean, when I, you know, in the early 80s, it was impossible to do an action adventure show. It just wasn't possible. So, so, um, so you were doing stuff like shrinking your characters into, uh, you know, inch size so that you could have different kinds of, of action and jumping on tables as opposed to, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, but well, you, you, you know, you couldn't in the early 80s you could all the all the rays had to be fanned out so they weren't impactful mm -hmm. and hitting a wall and breaking you know hitting through a wall with your fist that was that you can imitate the kid could imitate that and all that stuff sort of all that um impactful stuff sort of or, or the softening of the impactful stuff sort of got cut in half by uh, static so we, we got away with uh, more than we would have ever gotten away with in the, in the Super Friends show, even though it was a six to 11 year old show. No, um, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I mean, um, but I enjoy static. I enjoyed doing it. It took a little while to get into the rhythm of it. And when uh, Dwayne McDuffie came on the show, it was great. Uh, if that show has any, uh, has uh, any, uh, uh, reasons to acclaim it. It's the fact that we got Dwayne McDuffie out of Florida and into Los Angeles to start working on superhero stuff. It was such a fantastic show. I, I was so bummed, not so much that, you know, it, it went away, you know, they canceled it, you know, it, it just didn't keep going. I was more upset as bad as it sounds. I was more upset that static got, you know, canceled than when Batman just ended its run because Batman had so long, right? That animated series was so impactful, so influential, so long. You guys had so many stories told in that. Um, and like, it always seemed like static. It was just, it, it had so many more, it had so much more to say. It had so much more legs. It could have went for, you know, the five, six, seven seasons, mo what, like most shows that you guys did back in the day. Um, this, like I said, this shit had legs. So it went four seasons, and the reason why, and it was, I mean, it got respectful ratings, and it would have gone on if there was a toy line that was successful, but they couldn't come up with a toy line. And that's happened to me on other shows, Ozzy and Drix. That was another show where uh, two seasons was a fantastic show, I thought, mm -hmm. um, and they just could not sell any toys off of it. It's, it's always, it's, whenever they did this show, I don't know if you watch too much stuff these days, but they have a show on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us. Um, and then you find out like when they're starting to talk about all this stuff, why shows or why things get canceled. And when it comes to animation and cartoons, if they don't have, you know, 
a whole bunch of these guys going off of the shelves, a shows yeah. the movies, which is insane. I mean, I don't know much about that, but can you expound more upon that than I can? Just saying, it's just going to get canceled. Do you know more details as far as that that side of it goes? Well, um, it's uh, shows connect with toys, and just some don't. And that's all I I can tell you. Um, they wanted to keep these shows, yeah. Going, they were doing great in the ratings, mm -hmm. but uh, they couldn't sell them. And you know what? Static couldn't sell well overseas either. Yeah, that was another problem. So, um, so I'm I'm hoping that's all changed by now. But um, but yeah, it's it's strange the reason why shows stay on the air. It's just uh, it's more to it than just what you're seeing on the screen. Which I was, like I said, I've always been just dumb. When I found that out and I heard that, you know, if your show, your show could be the best show in the world, but if it's not selling as many toys as you really need it to sell, you know, the chances of you getting are pretty high, um, which is insane when you really think about it. The guy that is just making cartoons and TV shows has nothing to do with the sculptor, the toy maker, or the brand or the people that are putting it out and selling it. I mean, it's, it's you would think one hand washes the other, but in that type of situation, it's like, one hand over here, one hand over here, and we're going to do each other things. But that's neither here nor there. Um, you, know, well, you know, a lot of the a lot of the guys that work on the shows are hostile to the toys. I mean, we were making Superman, and we had to come up with a vehicle for Superman. That's so stupid. Uh, it's just you know, what are you going to do? So I mean, so it's a vehicle we used when he goes by Red Sun or something like that. But uh, yeah, we. we, uh, we for, uh, and there are a lot of toy guys. I mean, they're like you. You know, I mean, uh, you, you go into some of these artists' uh, offices, and it's, there's no room anywhere, <laughs> anywhere for another toy. Um, so they like toys, but you don't want to be told to put a toy into a show. It really grates you when you have to do that. And it also you see that it that like we talked about earlier, it goes from passion to profit at that point, yeah. and you're just like damn man this this takes the magic this takes this creative juices this takes me out of the moment i'm not really looking forward to drawing the guy that is a you know a super powered alien underneath our sun i gotta put him in a vehicle this dude flies around the world faster than the flash can run depending on which story you know story arc you read when flash and superman race um but he needs a vehicle. Come on i just wish somebody was like i need a job out there where i can just tell people no 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 you stay in your sector. These guys are making magic over here, drawing and writing this shit. You guys just sell your toys. We're going to keep this shit separate, right? But neither here nor there. These shows didn't last as long as I wanted them to. But the great thing about being here now is you can buy almost everything, either through Amazon, through iTunes, through Apple, whatever you can really find, you can find these shows. And it's so fun revisiting these things years down the road. Um, and something that you've been doing for the last few years is all of the DC movies that are just getting rolled out, man, you've got either a writing or a producing credit in each one of these things. Yeah. How the hell did this happen? I didn't think that we'd see story arcs like the ones I showed you, like Nightfall or, or, or like, uh, shit, I'm, I'm, can't remember Alan Moore's, um, the killing joke. You know, you have things like this bad blood, all of these things start really coming to fruition. Do you remember when you started seeing these movies pop up or how'd you get involved in this same thing or? Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple, there were a couple that they already made and it was um, they were going to be making a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I was, I didn't want to do series TV anymore. So this was perfect for me because they were, you know, it was mostly superhero stuff. I also did Scooby-Doo stuff and a couple Tom and Jerry's and all that. But um, there was a lot of superhero stuff. Um, and I, I think I made, I think I worked on 30 long forms there before I ended it. Uh, but it was, it was great because, because um, you weren't stuck in just one series for a long time. You jumped into other stories. You dealt with uh, different writers uh, throughout the year, and it was a, a whole new ball game. And I came to like doing these movies a lot. Um, it 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 got me it got me through um, to my retirement. <laughs> but uh, yeah, was that so. process from writing? Batman the Animated Series, I'm only using that one as an example. Was the process any different from you when you would write a episodic TV show to a feature-length movie? Or was it essentially just putting on a different pair of shoes, really, and you're just writing a longer format? Well, you're writing a longer format, and you are usually uh, trying to uh, tame a uh, graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that uh, uh, six issues of a comic book could go pretty well to making a 90 minute uh, 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 video. Yeah. Um, so, it, 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 you know, it's just, it's, it's a movie. So you have your, it's act one, act two, act three. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, and you just have to figure out how to take a story that's too long. Like, uh, what was that Superman forever story we did? Um, I can't remember the title of it. Um, Oh, uh, where's my phone? I'll look it up real quick while you. Okay, thank you. I'm terrible at names and titles these days. It's all it all meshes, but you know, what I mean, Superman Forever, something was it was called like that, which was twelve issues that uh, Dwayne McDuffie managed to boil down to six, um, which was his genius. And then we have something like uh, 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 the Joker, uh, Killing Joke, mm -hmm. which is. Uh, Really, it's only a like a 50, 50 minute story. Yeah, if you stay true to it, and we stay true to it, so we had to add another story to it. We didn't want to lengthen it. You can't lengthen that thing. That that thing was not only was that book perfect. That movie was. I never. And what's crazy is this world's crazier now than it ever was back in the eighties when Alan Moore wrote this 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 book this masterpiece. Um, but looking at the climate that it is today there is so much crazy shit that goes on in the killing joke that you're like there's no way in hell that they can make this into a cartoon into a movie when i saw this i was like this is going to get pulled down this is immediately going to get red flag from the production company warner brothers is not going to want to put this out i mean when they did a whole bunch of uh, new covers for a batman book last year year before last they had a killing joke inspired cover and i think it was uh, was it Raphael Albuquerque? What, I can't remember who it was that did this, but they did it where they were the Joker was putting his arm around Batgirl and he had drawn the smile on her face and it was Alan Moore's Joker. And it was a cover. It was just one of these things for one of these variant covers. They completely pulled that cover. So I'm like, okay, so in this world, killing jokes, not I don't give a shit what anybody says. And I just completely put it out of my mind. I'm going through Walmart the year it comes out on DVD, Blu-ray and all that other shit. I'm pushing my little cart and I just happen to look over for some reason. I see the killing joke. And I'm like, no, I didn't see. Holy shit, the killing joke is here on the shelf. I instantly went, ran over to the shelf, pulled it off, put it in my thing. 
and went and bought that so nobody could tell me to put it back because they were going to pull these these movies off the shelves because it was so crazy. That was the mindset I was in. There was just no way in hell that they're going to do this with this movie. You guys did it. You guys crushed the hell out of this movie. It was so fun to revisit this but not have to read and then just accept this in a different form, this medium in a different format. I used to reading it. Now I'm watching it. Um, what was it like pulling? Did you read that book before? Um, or was that something that they came to you and said, hey, we're going to do this. And you had to do a little homework on it. Oh, I'm going to tell you a story. I've never told anybody this before. I tried to read The Killing Joke twice, years before. Mm-hmm. And the first time I tried to read it, I put it down when, when the commissioner is, uh, has a leash on him and is being dragged through circus. And I just, I wasn't in the mood. Yeah. So like three years pass. And I said, I'm going to read The Killing Joke. And I get to that part again, and I put it down, and I, I just don't finish it. Um, and let me tell you, I, I'm a big Alan Moore fan. I mean... His Swamp Thing run is fantastic. Oh, my gosh, Swamp Thing. Beautiful. We have a script for Swamp Thing that was written 12 years ago. Please, but please. It's, and it's, please. It's, it's wonderful. But it, was, it definitely was R-rated. So... The Killing Joke comes up. Uh, uh, let's do The Killing Joke. And I said, I, you, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not PG. It's not PG-13. It's R. Yeah. Everybody said, yeah, but let's, let's, let's make a shot. Maybe we'll get an R. And it turns out that they were willing to go to an R rating on that from the beginning. So that's why, uh, that's why it was made the way it was, which is pretty true to the book. It is very, very true to the book, by the way. Yeah. And, um, and I'm glad it was because at one point we were recording, recording the Joker and, um, and, um, and uh, the actor, oh my God, help me. Oh, um, I had it pulled up here just a second ago and I dropped it back out. But don't worry, I'll get it right back. I want to say Luke Skywalker. And just, uh, oh, Mark, Hamill. Mark Hamill. Mark, Mark, Mark Hamill. Uh, God. Old age. Let me tell you. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm sorry. Mark Hamill uh, has the comic. He's got the script here, and he has the comic book here, and he's going through the script. He's recording the script, and at one point he says, "Now listen." He uses the word "and" here when uh, it, and here it's "but." I mean, shouldn't we be doing what the comic? And I thought to myself, "Thank God we were as true to that comics we were." If he's going to hit this point and find a couple of words that are different and uh, call us on it. So uh, we, we were pretty true to that book. It's, it's, and, and that's when I finally had to read it, you know, I had to read the whole thing. And to me, the story, the story doesn't make sense unless Batman is, kills him in the end. That, that's what I've never understood, like how, how this can be debated. Um, he killed him, he didn't kill him. You hear he's got his fucking hand around this this little bird yeah. neck, yeah. and you hear crack or crunch, whatever it was. You see, yeah. you know, the words, and then that's the final page, and everything fades to black. I mean, you gotta do some kind of like one plus one, oh, it equals two, you know. But if you really look at the page and you read it, and then you flip that last page over, you're like, Holy shit, he he just killed the Joker. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I've never understood that, that like, did he kill him? Did he not kill him? I mean, it's 
like I said, it's pretty evident that, you know, he went crush and, you know, Joker's no longer here. Um, in your opinion, you know, uh, and I always like asking these type of questions, but in your opinion, if that was your story, does the Joker die or do you keep him around? Well, you, 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 well, you have to keep him around, you know, because he's the Joker. You can't ever lose that guy. But all the rest of it became canon. Her becoming Oracle and all that, that all became canon. Um, but you're right. The story does not make sense if the Joker is left alive and they're just both laughing. And uh, uh, because why have we been through this? Yeah. That's my opinion. And it's, you know, there are people who interpret it completely differently. And everybody's, everybody's, you know, everybody's got their opinions, right? You can have whatever one you way, you know, you don't really want to push your opinion on somebody else. But at the end of the day, man, that's what's so great about comic books is we get to sit here and discuss what happened, what didn't happen, who would win versus who would win, right? It's the, the age old question, who wins Hulk or Superman, Wonder Woman, or Aquaman, Batman or Daredevil, you know, it's, it's something that's always going to be debated, no matter how clear cut and dry it is, he killed the yeah. Joker. Um, you know, so it's, it's always going to be contested, but like I said, you guys did a fantastic job with this. Now I didn't mention everything you've done because you've been doing these damn movies for as long as they've pretty much been coming out. Um, what were some of your favorites? They don't have to be Batman in a sense, but what were some of your favorite DC? Well, the, Red Hood, the Red Hoods might, might be my favorite. I don't know why that thing, uh, really stands out for me, but it really does. In is fact, he, is he your Robin? A oh, pardon? Is Jason Todd your Robin? Um, no, um, Tim Drake was our Robin. We never had Jason Todd. Well, no, I'm talking about you as, as you, like as a, as a fan of Batman. Oh. Like everybody has their Robin. Oh. Tim Drake was mine as I well. go back to Dick Grayson. I go yeah. way back, you know. So, uh, but uh, that was a particularly good story. Mm. And it just worked well. And it was really well directed. And it's so well directed that um, I, after, I, after I saw it at uh, Comic-Con, they show it again for people want to see it again. And I started to walk out and I came back and I just, I watched it again, uh, even, uh, and it just is, is a, I think it's a really strong story. That's my favorite. Um, but there's a, there's a few, there's about a dozen that I'm really uh, very proud of. Now, do you have, when you have a writing credit or a producer's credit, and a lot of them you had both or one or one or the other, um, which one do you feel like a closer attachment? I got to assume it's the writing because you're putting more, you know, work sure. and you're yeah. writing this out. But all, the ones that you produced and you didn't really write, was there one that stuck out to you like right off the bat? It's like, man, I really love what they did with this. Well, that's one of them. Um, most of them, everyone that Dwayne McDuffie did, I enjoyed. Yeah. So, um, so find his credit and you'll, you'll see a, me smiling there looking at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, I, I like I like them all. I mean, I mean, I mean, I like so many of them. I mean, there's a couple which I I, I, I made a mistake on. I mean, I'll tell you one that we did a um, we did this Green Lantern one where they were um, where there were different stories, uh, like about six seven stories, and they were all written by writers who are associated with Green Lantern. They were all separate stories, and uh, they all end with big explosions. And there's so many damn explosions in that. It's 90 minutes that they all it loses com complete impact. And I wish that I had better thought out 
the structure of that thing because it could have used some just nice small personal stories as opposed to uh, big dynamic stories from the show. But there's an example of one that I, I wish I, I wish I could do that one again. Well, I mean, hopefully you hopefully you'll you know you'll get the chance to to not so much retell that story because that's what's great you know with this podcast, man. I've only been doing it for a couple months, so. I'll have an episode when I get done with this one, me talking to you, I generally go back and listen to it. And I'm sitting here thinking like, man, I could have shut up more and let Alan go on a little bit more. Or I could have been like, Oh, I could have asked this question better. You know, it's ever evolving. How do I get better at doing what I really enjoy doing, which is talking to folks, man. It's the funnest time I've ever had doing anything. And I get to talk to the people that, like I said, in the beginning of this podcast, it shaped my childhood, my adulthood. I mean, if it wasn't for stuff like the Ninja Turtles and the Batman that's on the back of my shelf, I mean, I showed you and I'll put it out for the fans so they can see it too. I've always in my life wanted an actual car. There's only two or three vehicles in my entire life because I'm not a car guy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a vehicle guy. Um, you know, I just, I don't, I don't care about it. Right. Um, it would have been that animated Batmobile. It would have been, the DeLorean at the end of Back to the Future after yeah. he got rid of the plutonium. It would have been the turtle van from the 1987 cartoon series, right? And like I said at the beginning, it, it's because of people like you, like Paul Dini, like Bruce Tim, Mark Hamill, Kevin Conroy, insert anybody's name here, that had such a huge impact on me. I could have not been doing this and I could be buying crack right now is what I'm telling you, Alan. I could have been deep into drugs, the bad drugs, um, I could have been deep into that, but you guys did something that is so special that will stand the test of time. You guys really did the Lord's work here, man. You guys are doing stuff that I wish more people would look into. You know, you guys sit here and it might just be something and I'm not diminishing what you do. It might just be something for you as simple as writing words to a dialogue, to a panel that's going to be animated. But for people like me, I see that shit and I see art. I see beauty. I see the tragedy of a, of a character like Two-Face, like Scarecrow, like insert Joker here, Batman here, right? And it's all because of people like you, right? So what I like to do to wrap up these things, other than giving you guys as much thanks as I possibly can, is I like to ask a couple questions towards the end, even though I've been asking you questions all this, this whole interview, um, if you had that button, right, I don't have a button, I need to get one made here so I can make a little you know, sound effect. But if you had a button, and you can pick any storyline, any story arc, any character, right, doesn't have it could be made already, and you could want to redo it. Or it could be something that hasn't been touched yet, right? Is there a storyline or a specific character that you would love to have the complete freedom of of doing and putting them into a movie? You mean some comic books? Any like yeah, we'll go comic books because I'm I'm figuring it's in your realm. How are you? It's in your wheelhouse right now. You've been doing it for so long. But yeah, is there a is there a specific superhero, supervillain, or story arc or storyline that you would just love to tell in a movie? Oh my gosh, I've done so. There are so many that I've already dealt with. Um. um There, oh, um, there's a character that I always liked when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and his name was Brain Boy, and he's not going to mean anything to anybody because he they did six issues of him, so there's not even a story arc there. But I always liked that character, 
and wish I could have done a superhero show. I like, um, oh my gosh. That, that's just a hard, it's a hard one to, to think about. Because really I have done, I, I've mined that DC library for all it's worth, I feel. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did some uh, good shit, man. Yeah, and we were good to it. I mean, we, we, we respected it. Um, and even in some, you know, there's also bits and pieces that we've taken from stories and put into like 11 minute shows yeah. and stuff like that. I think the one thing I would like to have seen happen was a swamp thing that we did, which was based upon an old Alan Moore uh, story. And it was written actually, it's, it's there, it's ready to be animated if you want to. And it's R rated and it's terrific. And it's based upon an Al Alan Moore story about swamp, uh, swamp vampires. Mm -hmm. And um, it was written by Joe Lansdale who's uh, a, a writer in the mode of Stephen King. I mean, he's, pr he's pretty famous. He, yeah. he works out of uh, Texas. And that's one I wish would have gone. What was his name again? Joe, Joe R. Lansdale. I'm writing that down on my little notepad. Um, because, like I said, I'm a huge Batman fan, but if there is somebody that I, I want to be a champion for, no pun intended, I want to be a champion for that champion of the green, right? that, that, that avatar of the green, that swamp thing. Um, I mean, he's on my arm. You can't really see it, but he's on my arm right here. When Bernie, when Bernie passed away a few years ago, I can't really get a good angle of it, but it's him sitting up underneath the tree and then looking out. Um, it's, it, he's one of those characters and I don't know why I don't understand why I have this affinity for this character. It's just somebody that, that is so he's damaged, you know, he's got that, that duality, like almost like Two-Faced Eddie, right? He's, he doesn't know if he's really Alec Holland anymore, or if he's always been this, this avatar of the green, he's just assuming somebody's personality or somebody's thought about being somebody when that person is no longer here is he conscious is he like he, he just really reminds me of something like what ai could be down the road right um so i don't know what it is about that character but i feel like the tv show that they did not too long ago with him that had leg that was one of the best things dc has done in a very long time as far as live action stuff goes um and it was just cut got, got his legs cut out way too early um and i would love to, to see this script or not see it. Cause I don't, I don't want you to, you know, show it to me or anything, but I would love to see this script come to a movie. Um, if there's anybody that deserves anything, it's fucking swamp thing, man. I mean, he's, he's, he's a character that just, he's got so much potential to grow, no pun intended. Um, and yeah. he's just got so much stories that I don't think anybody's really tapped in, you know, an actual live action movie or even in the animated series. I mean, they've done that dark, justice league and the multiverse type of thing so you've seen a little bit from swamp thing but he's just got so much more to really offer people and i really hope something like that happens um what i'm essentially getting at alan is who do i need to write and who do i need to tweet and who do i need to call on a consistent basis to get the script that we're talking about right now made because if i have to do it every day i'll call anybody i need to that's what i'm getting at um Believe me, they know it's there, and you know it's. 
every once in a while I mention it to uh, the people who are in charge of the, the series, reminding them that it's there. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do anything right now, but, um, but it, it's, it would be wonderful if it were made. It would be, uh, it would be great. And you're right, Swamp Thing, they haven't done justice to, real justice to yet. By the way, I'm blinking. I don't know what the light is. It's raining outside. I don't know what's going on. So oh, I'm yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been pretty nasty here today. We're getting a real nasty cold front. Florida finally decided you know? to the rest of the country to be just a little cold for the next couple of weeks. And I can't, I can't wait. I'm so tired of these skeeters out here. They bite the hell out of me all the time. Um, and it's just hot and muggy. I can't wait for colder weather. Um, and it's the yeah. same thing. All the clouds keep going over the sun. Luckily, I've got my shades pulled or I'd be blind as hell at this point. Um, but, but yeah, so I've kept you a little bit longer than I told you to that hour. Um, I, I would love to have you, I would love to have you come back on because we jumped all over the place, but there were so many things that you had your hands on, or you had your being your person, you, you were dealing with these, these things that I absolutely loved growing as growing up as a kid. And like I said, as an adult, so I want to get you back on here, you know, sometime down the road and we can really flush out, you know, from where you started to kind of where you're at now and, that's a huge gap to myself. I mean, we can go six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours and still not scratch the surface of everything you've really done. Um, but at the end of the day, man, I can't thank you enough for what you have done and what I've seen and what I've shared with my son. And, and it's been a fun ride. Um, I can't wait to see what you're doing. I understand you're working on a comic book with Paul Dini, also co-creator of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, can you tell us anything about that with not giving too many spoilers away or anything like no, that? It's, uh, it's been going on for a while. It's been for the last year. So it's been out there. It's a digital first comic. So it's so we take we take a comic book page and we cut it in half and that's one screen and there's the, another screen and that's how it's presented on, on, on the computer. But then it's published as a comic book later on. And eventually, I hope, uh, it's a graphic novel collection. Mm-hmm. And so we've been having a good time. It's a continuation of Batman the Animated Series. And it's called Batman the, uh, the Adventures Continue or The Adventure Continues. <laughs> I should get that title right someday. So, uh, and it's fun. And we have, especially uh, at Christmas time, we have a special 30 page story coming out mm-hmm. uh, with. Uh, with Batman and uh, the Ventriloquist, who is one of my favorite characters. And we have a lot of fun with it. So I'm hoping people enjoy that. But yeah, it's it's been wonderful. You know, in my retirement, this is perfect. Just, you know, a comic book every uh, month, month and a half. That's great. Well, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that if you ever get the itch to come out of retirement and really dive deep, I hope the first thing that you take those hands of yours and put on is something with Alec Holland and Swamp Thing. I really hope that happens. Um, like I said, I'm sure I'm not the only fan that would just love to see this happen. I can't wait for the Christmas book to come out. Uh, as soon as we get off here, I'm going to call my LCS, my local comic book store, because I still go and get them every Wednesday when they come out Tuesdays, because that's when DC ships now. Um, but I'm going to make sure I have this on my pull list, um, especially when it starts coming out to trades or the single issues after the digital first print. Um, and it's just, like I said, it's been a pleasure. Is there anything else that you would like to tell everybody that's listening? Um, if you're doing anything else or if you want to talk to more people, man, where can they come and find you and see what Alan's doing in his retirement? When this, when this fact, this, I get the vaccine and this thing is over. You're going to see <laughs> many comic book conventions because I'm itching to get on a plane, let me tell you. But, uh, but uh, until then, uh, everybody should stay safe, so. 
And you take care. Thank you very much, Joanne. Oh, no, man, I can't thank you enough, man. You could have been doing anything in this world other than doing what you're doing right now, but you chose to spend just a little bit of time with me, man. I really appreciate it. He's been Alan. I've been Julian. This has been What's In My Head podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You guys stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.